Hey there, it's Sunday, February 2nd, 2020, Super Bowl Sunday. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and there were a ton of games this weekend, most of them on Saturday, uh, but only two uh, were between two teams currently ranked in the Associated Press Top 25 poll. They were number 13, Kentucky, at number 17, Auburn, and number 19, Illinois, at number 18, Iowa. Now, we're going to get to Illinois, Iowa, and the Big Ten in general a little later on, but I wanted to start with Auburn's 75-66 victory over Kentucky. Massive win for Bruce Pearl and the Tigers. It had obviously been well-documented that Auburn entered February with a a great record, 18-2, but with zero wins over ranked teams. They hadn't even played a ranked team through 20 games, but they got one in game 21, Bruce Pearl, pregame, predicted a win, and he got one. Auburn shot 44 free throws, made 33 of them, beat Kentucky, like I said, 75-66 inside Jared Harper Arena. So now Auburn is 19-2 with, finally, a win over a top 25 team. Norlander, does what happened Saturday night inside Jared Harper Arena change at all how you feel about BP's Tigers? Uh, To a certain extent, GP, and yes, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. Uh, Talked about this in studio on Saturday uh, on CBS Sports HQ in terms of, for me, and I think for the general college basketball public to a certain extent. Now, I already can hear uh, the Kentucky fans here uh, bitching and moaning about the fouls, and, and and I get all that. It was not a beautifully called game. I understand that, okay? I know the free throw disparity. Uh, the whistle seemed a little bit slanted to Auburn. I don't think it's a crime against humanity. I don't think it was the worst officiated game I've seen this season, and I do think that Auburn deserved to win. And in getting this kind of win in its first game, game against a ranked team, getting to 19-2, and steadying itself, um, I think it helped validate Auburn much more more than if it had it lost, no matter the way in which it lost, Parrish. If it had lost, I think there would have been much more skepticism than maybe there still even exists here and cynicism around the Tigers, but uh, you wrote a column about it. I'll, I'll just give it back to you here. You can uh, share your thoughts, some of which uh, you can read on the CBS Sports app, cbsports.com. GP had the, the feature column on Saturday from this game, but it is, I mean, Auburn's 19-2 coming off a Final Four year, lost some good talent and uh, continues to pace itself toward a, a really good seed and yet, weirdly, um, it's still two games behind LSU. LSU won again. So LSU's still undefeated in the SEC and not getting nearly as much recognition because it hasn't played high-profile games. But I did walk away impressed with both Tigers. Auburn for what it did there, and LSU getting to 17-4, 8-0 overall. Um, you know, those teams have now become the story of the SEC instead of Kentucky and Florida, which were the two teams we expected to be the story in the league this season. You know, column writing is is interesting because sometimes you know exactly what you're going to write when you when you put first finger to keyboard. Other times the column sort of develops as you're as you're writing, and you end up in a different place than that you thought you'd be. Um, our editor Marcus Nelson, you know, texted me. I guess it was Saturday morning, and was just like, "Hey, are, are you available today? Because you never know if I'm going to be available. You, you hard you rarely know where where I'm at." Yeah. And so I was like, "Yes, I'm I'm available." And I want to write off of Kentucky and Auburn. And the reason was because no matter what happened, it was going to be interesting. If Auburn wins, they finally get this top 25 win. And if Kentucky wins, man, that's three straight weekends on the road in hostile environments. And they, they pass every test. First at Arkansas, then Texas Tech. And this would have been a win at Auburn. So I was like, ah, there, there's something there no matter what happens. So this is this will be easy. Um, and then I, you know, so Auburn wins the game. And... The sort of the approach I take at the beginning of the column is like, hey, when you lose three your top three scores at Auburn, 
you know, we're not talking about North Carolina or Duke, but you lose your top three scores at Auburn after going to an improbable Final Four because, like, Auburn is never supposed to go to the Final Four. But you get there, and then the top three scores are gone. When you start 18-2, and two, like, that, that's great, period. I don't need to know anything other than that. You, things are going well. But there were some skeptics, in, you know, because the computer numbers aren't great. And the 18 and two featured zero wins over top 25 teams, zero games against top 25 teams. And so I was just sort of focused on that. But then, um, give credit where credit is due, I saw a tweet from Josh Vitel, who covers Auburn from the Montgomery uh, Advertiser. And he had some really interesting stuff that it, I, I borrowed, it gave him credit in the column by name, but still borrowed to sort of build the rest of the column because. As I was in the middle of writing this, it just struck me as, as more interesting. And here's what he tweeted, and I copied. Auburn went 1-32 against Kentucky between 1990 and 2015. 1-32. Man. I mean, that's, that's, that's almost – it feels impossible. But it tells you what the Kentucky basketball program is historically and presently and what Auburn has been basically – Forever. Yes, Parrish, but if I may real quick, that also includes an era where Auburn late nineties was also, you know, on the cover of SI, two seats. So quarter. it even got it, it yeah, correct. Exactly. So it was even good within the midst of that. Continue. Right. And so it just sort of underlined this is this is a basketball program that historically operates one way, and this is a basketball program that historically operates the other way. And I remember going to Auburn and spending a couple of days with Bruce right after he got the job, before he ever coached his first game. And Bruce is a salesman, and Bruce is a, 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 a positive, all that stuff. And yet, he was like, this is going to be hard. You know, like, he's like, this is going to be much harder than Tennessee. Um, because, it, for a variety of reasons that I, I'll let him explain. But, you know, then he ends up in the Final Four. And, and obviously, they're operating at a high level. But it's a hard job. Evidence being that record. One in 32 over a 25-year span against Kentucky. And after last Saturday night's win, Auburn is now four and three against Kentucky in the past seven meetings. They've now won two straight against Kentucky last year in the Elite Eight and then Saturday night for the first time since 1990. So that's 30 years. And sort of what led me down this path, in addition to, to Josh's tweet with all of the history, was a quote from Austin Wiley, the senior big. He said after Saturday night's win, you know, the fans should be used to this. And that's such a wild thing to think that Auburn fans should be used to beating Kentucky because for, I just laid it out, 25 years, they went one in 32 against Kentucky. And by the way, it's not like Kentucky's in some downtime right now. They've got John Calipari and they're competing for a final four every year. But the idea that what Austin Wiley is true, the idea that what he said is true, that Auburn fans should be used to Auburn beating Kentucky by now is really a remarkable thing. It's incredibly remarkable, and really, I mean, I got a couple of quick thoughts on Auburn, kind of impromptu here. Um, first of all, because of Bruce's, Bruce has, I think, you know, some enemies within the coaching industry due to, and we don't need to relitigate this, but um, due to stuff in the past, even before Tennessee, but combine that with the fact that he uh, got caught cheating and then lied to the NCAA um, there are a lot of people that are anti-Bruce Pearl, and I get all that. And then, you know, by the way, he has insistent get caught in the in the FBI sting and all that. And so, because of that, 
I think Bruce Pearl does not receive, and I'm not saying this is completely unfair, but he does not receive as much credit for his coaching acumen as he is more, you know, really entitled to. And when you look at what Auburn's done uh, since he got there, but really been rolling the past three seasons, I mean, he's been absurdly good, above an 85%, 90% win rate in non-conference games, and he hasn't been scheduling cupcake after cupcake after cupcake. And now, I mean, Auburn, uh, from the start of the 2017-18 season, GP, is, is incredible. It's only lost 20 times. And we're going on more than two and a half seasons worth uh, of data here, and has combined has compiled what 67 wins, so 67 and 20 overall. I mean, it's it's incredible, and I don't know if it's going to take another, if it's going to have to take another season in which Auburn gets a really good seed and goes deep into the second weekend or makes another Final Four. I don't know, but you'd agree though that if this were most other coaches doing this in a reconstruction uh, process and getting a program on the level of an Auburn historically to the levels it's been there. I feel like, and I'm not saying this is completely wrong. Again, like I get it. For those that are very anti-Bruce Pearl um, and think he's more salesman than coach, I understand that. But if it were many other coaches, I think you'd see much more respect, documentation, both within the industry and then outside. Would you agree? Yes. Um, I mean, just look at, despite what happened this weekend, all of the attention Steve Peichel is getting for what for returning Rutgers to the top 25 and, exactly. and having Rutgers on the way to the NCAA tournament. And, and the reason is because, like, nobody dislikes Steve Peichel. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Steve Peichel. Yeah. Like, I, I, I actually, I'll take it a step further. I don't know how you could, I don't know what there would be to dislike. He's just a pleasant man. And, um, and, a, and, a, and just a, a basketball coach, you know, he's, there's nothing flashy about him. He's not going to create a bunch of headlines with, with words or rah-rah speeches. He's just going to, you know, coach his basketball team. And he, like Bruce took over what has been a historically bad situation. And now he's got it respectable and people are applauding it. Whereas the applause is a little more confined and muted when it comes to Bruce for all of the reasons you laid out. I mean, like, listen, I wrote the column and I, I tweeted it a certain way and I, I'll read it exactly because it, it, it generated responses that weren't surprising to me. Uh, the, the tweet went this way. We've somehow reached the point where Auburn can make a final four, lose its top three scores and still be favored to beat Kentucky while improving a 19 and two in the subsequent season makes no sense, but it's true. Shouts to Bruce Pearl. I knew the shouts to Bruce Pearl thing would get the responses that it got. Bruce Pearl's a cheater. Bruce Pearl's a scumbag. And like, listen, I'm not, if you want to know everything about Bruce Pearl, go to his Wikipedia page and read it. We don't have to go through it here. I just don't get caught up in that. I, I, I just, I mean, Mike, if, if you're going to play the, you can't give somebody credit for doing an awesome job because they've had NCAA issues in their past. Well, like good luck. Mm -hmm. I, I, who are you going to talk about? I mean, right now, uh, Steve you, Peichel. Would, you could talk about. That's Steve what you're going to talk about. <laughs> we'd be just we'd just be doing Steve Peichel podcast <laughs> three times a week. Um, I mean, like, so what? We you can't ever praise John Calipari because he's got NCAA issues in his past. You can't ever praise Bill Self because he's got NCAA issues in his present. You can't ever praise Will Wade for being undefeated in the SEC because. You know, he made a strong-ass offer to Javante Smart's people. Like, if you really just decide if you've sinned professionally, you deserve no credit when you're flourishing professionally. 
Well, then good luck writing and talking about college basketball. I know. You're, I know, exactly. And it's more than just Steve Peichel, but your point is extremely well taken. Um, a couple more things off this. Um, it was a good sign for Kentucky. Listen, we've, we've talked about Kentucky, obviously, plenty. We will continue to do so. They're developing just an interesting resume overall, okay? Um, but... Uh, Emmanuel quickly continues to impress. And I know he fouled out, and I know that Kentucky fans have an issue with the fact that he fouled out, uh, but I was impressed with him. I expected Tyrese Maxey to have a good game, and indeed he did. And Nick Richards not playing up to the level that he should have, I think was an indication that he has become really the straw that stirs that U.K. drink. But overall, Kentucky... um, you got, a, what, a roadie at Arkansas, a roadie at Texas Tech. You drop one at Auburn. You're going to take two out of three every single time. And then Samir Doughty was was uh, awesome. He had 23 points. Him and Isaac Okoro, uh, I love watching those dudes play. So uh, good on Auburn. Some interesting stuff developing within uh, the SEC overall. And then I have to address real quick, and you can go with if you want to go there, GP, if you want. If not, that's fine. But I have to address the fact that while I'm at uh, HQ in the studio and I'm trying to track, like, four different games, I see Dan Walken retweet into my timeline and then a follower bring attention <laughs> To to a to a tweet that I was definitely I was I I was like doing six things at once here and so the fact that I saw Walken retweet it and then I brought and the uh, I it's a uh, his name's Jeff I think it's Jeff Dylan uh, he's like you got to lead the pod with this here's what the tweet says. And now the handle says not Kyle. Like you have the handle, and you also have like the name as it displays. It says not Kyle Tucker, man. I really want to believe that it actually said Kyle Tucker, like the athletic or whatever. When I did it, but whatever. So it goes. <laughs> it goes. Whoa, Bruce Pearl just. <laughs> Again, this is this is a fake tweet that I believed for about twenty seconds, maybe forty. Okay, two minutes. Whoa. Bruce Pearl just reached under his chair, pulled out a package of deli sliced ham, and ate the entire contents in one bite. A grad assistant is wiping his mouth with a towel. Not sure I've ever seen that during a basketball game, but seems norm to the assistants. Oh, boy. And I I said this has to be fiction. The fact that I even thought for a second that Bruce Pearl would be going to town on some deli sliced ham in the second half of 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 a critical home game against Kentucky... Says more about me than Bruce Pearl, but I don't think it's impossible for Bruce Pearl to do that. So anyway, I, I wasn't going to let the podcast come and go and not uh, fess up to my error, apologize to Bruce Pearl, but at the same time, admit that I would like to see Bruce Pearl go to town on some deli slice ham. Bruce should do it next game. Oh, without a doubt. Right tucked under the chair? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> no, so I saw your tweet, and I was like LOLing, and, I, and, and, and like... Again, for a second, I, I I I just accepted the tweet as fact because though it is absurd, it's not so absurd that it's unbelievable. <laughs> like like it's absurd, but there's a part of me that was like I could, I could picture that, you know. You know, Bruce, we, yeah, we talked about Bruce Pearl sweating through his jacket. Of co- of course, we can envision this. Everyone listening right now is in pic- is picturing, and now I'm going to make you picture it. Bruce Pearl sweating through his suit just going to town just so destroying you, some deli slice down so when you retweeted it i was like la- like legit laughing and i was like this is the best and i was going to retweet it and before i did i saw a group text that were both in and they were like come on norlander what are you doing and i then i figured out and i was like i got got and i don't get i don't get got that often but i definitely did and then i just kept it up i owned up to it because i i had 
you know, visions of, of George Costanza sneaking in during a little bedroom session, getting some <laughs> some cured meats in there. So anyway, that was uh, that was something. Now, the, my thing I always do now is you see something outlandish and you feel like you're the first person to see it. Yeah. I, I click on it just to see if the blue check mark is there. Yeah. Because sure. if it's it. not, then we're, you're probably up against something. Honestly, I saw the – not to bring this back up, but the Kobe Bryant tweet last Sunday. You know, I saw that before it really started making the rounds. Yeah. And I was still hesitant because I was like, this can't be real. Like, I, of you know, I'm clicking this link. I'm checking it again. And I was still hesitant because it just – it felt like it wasn't real. Um, so – uh, yeah, the Bruce Pearl thing that it was a, a totally made up tweet, but but <laughs> hilarious. Just the the visuals, just perfect. Um, on Kentucky, it's interesting because I do think they're good and I do think they're getting better. Um, but the computers don't reflect that at all. They're now twenty seventh in the net, twenty seventh at KPI, thirtieth at BPI, thirty fifth at Torvik, thirty sixth at Kenpom. So they're outside of the top twenty five of five different computers, mm-hmm. and. Um, I always preface, you know, any comments about any fan base by saying um, I think the majority of Kentucky fans, just like the majority of most fans, are totally reasonable people who just love their teams. But still, every once in a while, you get the you get the extremes, and and they love to tweet you, and it's like you've got Kentucky too low. I think I've got them twenty one in Sunday morning's top twenty five on one, and you you hate John Calipari. It's all these wild things that people. You just you do with you deal with them the best you can. But the truth is, at 21, according to the computers, Kentucky's probably overrated. And yet, if you told me, at do 27, I you mean? Or what, or what are you saying? 21. I've got there. a 21. Oh yeah, for you, for you. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm looking at the net right now, and Kentucky's 27, and LSU is 21 in the net here on Sunday afternoon. Continue. Yeah. So like, according to the computers, I've got Kentucky overrated, and yet, you know, I I, I believe Kentucky's good. I don't think there are 20. You told me I can I can have. Uh, If you asked me, are there 26 teams better than Kentucky right now, I would say no. And yet that is what five different computers um, are are saying. And the resume is – it's okay, but it's not anything other than okay. Four and three in quadrant one opportunities, two and one in quadrant two opportunities. So there's six and four in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities with that Q4 loss, which like almost no good teams have. Right. to Evansville, the computers don't love them. So it's just interesting that, you know, as I wrote in the Auburn, Kentucky column, if you start counting out a John Calipari team before Valentine's Day, that's that's foolish. You will usually usually be made to look stupid. Um, but it is true that right now they're outside of the top 25 of most of the computers that people pay attention to. Yeah, I'll be quick on this because we're gonna Kentucky is gonna be a compelling thing going forward here. Uh, also, Kentucky's four and four in road and neutral games. So you combine that with the Evansville home loss here, and I just I won't be shocked if we get to Selection Sunday and Kentucky is five, six, seven seed. Still dangerous, and will be I think something of a trendy team to pick into that second weekend. But it's getting harder to see how it's gonna be able to land on a good line uh, once we get to Selection Sunday, which is six weeks from today. So let's move on. It was a weird weekend in the Big East. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. What's up? This is Barton Simmons. And I'm Bud Elliott. And this is the newly formed Barton and Bud Show. If you're looking for recruiting information, college football information, coaching analysis, how all those things intersect and come together, then you're in the right place. And this is the podcast for you. This is your chance to eavesdrop on the conversations we have in the 24-7 sports office every week. Subscribe to the Barton and Bud Show wherever you get your podcasts. 
all, Chip Patterson here from the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports. While spring practice might be off, Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, and I are full go with springtime team previews on the Cover 3 Podcast. We're talking depth charts, position battles, and the storylines that will become key talking points when the season finally does arrive. We'll break down each and every Power 5 conference by division, plus the group of five schools that hope to crash the playoff picture in 2020. In addition to the springtime team previews, we're continuing off-season staples like the Mailbag, Cover 3 Book Club, and conversations with guests from around the college football world. Episodes are coming twice a week, so download and subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. So it was a really weird weekend in the Big East. On Saturday, the league's three schools that are ranked in the current Associated Press poll, Villanova, Seton Hall, Butler, each lost at home to schools that are unranked in the current Associated Press poll. First time that's ever happened in Big East history on the same day. Number eight, Villanova, was a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Creighton, lost 76-61 inside Wells Fargo Center. Number 10, Seton Hall, was an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over Xavier, Lost 74-62 inside the Prudential Center. And number 16, Butler, was a a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Providence, but lost 65-61 inside two-year-old Tony Hinkle Fieldhouse. Weird stuff. DePaul lost again. Nothing weird about that. But on Sunday, things got weird again. Georgetown was an underdog on the road. Then Mac McClung, its leading scorer, ruled out with a foot issue just before tip. Line jumps, so Georgetown's an even bigger underdog. Game starts, Hoyers are down nine at the half, then double digits with less than 10 to play. Somehow, they go close on a 23-12 run and win by one, 73-72. So, bottom line, there were five Big East games this weekend, and the underdogs won four of them on the road. Strong! Make sense of it, Deadleg. Can you repeat that stat you had at the start of that about the three teams. I can't believe that's true. I know it's true, but I just can't believe it. And in case that zipped right past our listener here, say that one more time. Three um, biggie schools were are, that are ranked lost at home to unranked schools on Saturday. And it was the first time in league history that it ever happened on the same day. That's stunning. Correct. That's, Correct. that's a genuinely stunning stat there. And um, DePaul led... At Marquette, 61-54 with eight and change to go in the game. I mean, you could have easily had Marquette losing that as well and, and didn't because Marcus Howard, who went, uh, who went Bain and had the face max on, went for 31 again. I mean, he's just uh, – Howard's uh, pretty much got to be a top three player of the year at this point due to the Leeds Nation scoring and is just carrying that team on his back uh, and doing a great job of it. Yeah, but weird. Weird day in the Big East. Um, uh noisy day in the Big East because of all of that. I, I saw little of the St. John. I saw the end of it, the St. John's Georgetown game, but I was locked in on Iowa, Illinois, which we'll get to in a second there. But um, yeah, I don't know what to take of all of it and what to make of all of it here. Um, Seton Hall, Nova play next Saturday. And, you know, just a little bit of luster off of that now that they both took these losses there. Um, for Seton Hall, it, it finally takes a loss. Uh, and Villanova can't capitalize to get to the top of the league standings uh, right alongside the Pirates because of its loss. I will note, by the way, Creighton, 17-5, and 6-3 and in the league. 
has been rolling four straight wins, five out of the past six. And over the past month, Creighton's played probably like a top 10 team in college basketball. It's been pretty outstanding and, and sits uh, with the eighth best per possession offense in college basketball there, in part not just because it's good at shooting the three, although that's certainly uh, that's certainly a big factor there. But uh, Tyshawn Alexander is... He, we had him on our preseason top 101 list. He's been terrific. And then Mitch Ballack, who uh, who shoots 46.6% from three-point range, um, he's been he's been great as well. Um, and just a real quick side note on this, just because I've spent uh, a lot of the past 48 hours on this, and this will this piece will run before we have our next podcast. Um, Mitch Ballack wears 24 because of Kobe Bryant, and I have talked to uh, about 20, 12 players across college basketball that wear 24 because of Kobe and uh, had them share their stories and what it means. Uh, Mitch, uh, Mitch had some good things to say, so um, I think it'll be pretty cool, and uh, we're either going to pub that Monday or Tuesday. Just be on the lookout for it, something a little bit different, and just have heard some awesome things from a lot of players, some good perspectives. Um, one player is from Calabasas, where the helicopter crashed. Uh, another player um, has lived in L.A. his whole life um and you know there's just a there's a lot of different perspectives here so be on the lookout for that but as for the big east um the only thing that i think happened here and gpl extrapolated out just a little bit further what we saw on saturday was uh, the topsy-turviness of that league but when you combine that with the fact that the other team like the Big East might be playing itself out of one seed discussion the same way that Michigan State and losing against Wisconsin, and boy, oh boy, did I have that wrong in a major way. Um, uh, they played itself out. So what, what you did have, uh, by different means, you had Baylor win, Kansas win, Gonzaga Got a real test on the road against San Francisco. Gonzaga won. San Diego State on Kawhi Leonard night uh, was able to push off Utah State and separate late. Those are the teams uh, along with, say, Duke and Dayton and Louisville, which was able to win on the road. I think those seven teams are really at the driving discussion, the, for the forefront of the discussion, to be in the one-seat conversation, whereas you saw Seton Hall slip up and lose some ground. You saw Villanova slip up and lose some ground. You saw Michigan State, which didn't have a great shot. I think it's pretty much played itself out of the one-seat conversation there. You saw Oregon lose at Stanford. Now, that's that was distant as it was. So, to me, aside from um, you had nine ranked teams lose to unranked teams, I think that was, or or eight, eight, eight ranked teams lose unranked teams, and the Big East stuff. I just thought the the one seed uh, separation became more clear given how the victories we got with the, with the teams I just mentioned. I want to circle back to Marquette real quick because among the reasons I was against making Marcus Howard preseason national player of the year is because I didn't think his team would be good enough to allow him to win that honor. Typically, you have to be awesome, but you have to be on a – on a relevant team, like a top 25 team. And I didn't think Marquette would be a top 25 team. Um, they might be now. Uh, you know, they got zero votes in the AP poll last week. That should change on Monday morning. Yeah. Because they've got a sneaky good resume. I ranked them uh, on Sunday morning in the top 25 and one. I think I got them at 23rd. And honestly, looking at it even just a few hours later, I probably should have put them higher. I, I maybe didn't just because I didn't want the onslaught from Kentucky fans. <laughs> but Marquette, sure. I, I told you a second ago that um, Kentucky 6-4 and four in Quadrant 1 slash Quadrant 2 opportunities with a Q4 loss to Evansville. Marquette is 10-6 and six in Q1, Q2 opportunities with just one loss outside of the first quadrant. Zero losses outside of the first two quadrants. They're 5-1 and one in their past six games. Lone loss in that stretch is a loss to Butler 
in overtime. They've got four quadrant one wins. Like Wojo is is you know that you lose the transfers and you know um, they've dealt with some injury stuff. Um, and I guess they they they've just sort of been operating a little below the radar. And you know obviously beating the Paul isn't going to move the needle too much. But when you and the reason I had to do this is because Houston loses, Wichita State loses. Um, uh, who else did I have ranked? Uh, you know, USC loses. Yeah. So I was Big looking time, for, yeah. you know, I had to wake up on Sunday morning and look for teams. And I don't just go, well, what's in the AP? I don't even look at the AP poll. I, I start looking at the computers and I click on teams and I look at the resumes and I go, nope. And then I click on another one and I go, nope. I actually make a list of about 15 teams. And then I go up to each one and I go, Nope. And I just cross them out or I'll go, maybe, you know, we'll circle back. And then I'm like, yeah, this is, and you look at Marquette's and it's legitimate. You know, 10 and six in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities. Only one loss outside of the first quadrant. No losses outside of the first two quadrants. Um, they should be if the AP voters pay attention. Marquette should be ranked in the AP poll on Monday. Marcus Howard since January 7th, 39 points, 27 points, 35 points, 42 points, 32 points, 26 points. 18 points, 31 points. He's been outstanding, and things have gone really the better way for Marquette in the past two games because it got that squeak out, two-overtime victory on the road against Xavier. Could have gone the wrong way, get the win. Got tested by DePaul, could have gone the wrong way, get the win. So, yes, the direction of Marquette's season has pivoted for the better northward in the past five days uh, with two games that could have been losses, but they turned into wins. That's a big-time deal. And don't forget, the, the Xavier win, they get they had to, to close that without Marcus. Yes, yes, he wasn't even on the floor in the game. That's why he only, yeah, that's why he only had 18 points. By the way, if he doesn't leave the game, he's probably north of 25, 26 again. I mean, I don't know if you can overstate what it does for the rest of that roster to go out and win a game without him because they are so heavily reliant on him and and everything that he does. I mean, he really carries the bulk of everything, and for them to not have him and still beat um, a quality Xavier team, a Xavier team that, like we already pointed out. Um, bounces back from that and goes beats Seton Hall, snaps their 10-game winning streak inside the Prudential Center. Um, Marquette getting that win midweek when Marcus had to leave big time, backing it with another win. The resume is really solid. Again, AP voters, if you're listening, you should probably, if you rank based on resume or body of work or recent play, uh, if any of that plays into your approach, you should probably have Marquette on your AP ballot come Monday morning. Um, on St. John's, uh, we referenced they blew a double-digit lead with less than 10 minutes to play at home uh, on Sunday against Georgetown. Uh, nothing crazy about St. John's not being good. I don't think many people thought they would be good. But they did start 11-2 and with wins over West Virginia and Arizona. Now they're 13-10. and So the Red Storm are 2-8 and their past 10 games. The only team they've beaten since Christmas is DePaul. They've beaten DePaul twice, so congrats. But... To, to start 11 and two with wins over quality teams like West Virginia, Arizona, and, and now be sitting here at 13 and 10, you can't beat anybody other than DePaul. That's rough stuff for, for, for Golden Gate Mike. One last thing while we're under the Big East umbrella. Yeah. On the last podcast, mm-hmm. we discussed, and I'm not even sure how we got there, but we ended up talking about Murray State retiring John Morant's number 12. That happened Saturday night. John Morant had his number retired at Murray State. Kawhi Leonard had his number retired at San Diego State. Um, and I we openly wondered, like, is that the fastest jersey retirement ever? Like, John Morant was just on campus. Like, 
you know, last March. And, you know, now he's back on campus in February, less than a year later, um, getting his, his number retired. And we got some interesting tweets. And I didn't even realize this, but Kimball Walker apparently had his, his number retired at UConn within days of, of winning the national championship and leaving UConn. Oh, I got, I got, I got you beat on this. First of all, yeah, I got the first, the things I heard more from our listeners over the past 56 hours or whatever were, were this, which I'll get to in a second, but also, uh, are you aware Sienna got a road win? I I must've heard from 10 people that Sienna got a road win. Multiple people tweeted me that yeah, Sienna is about to get its first road win. So shouts to the Saints. Shouts to Carm Massiarello and the Saints for going on the road, getting a win, 87-64 against Iona on Friday night. Uh, there was no shortage of, of alerts, and that's why we love our listeners there. But, okay, so then we talk about, like, John Morant getting this, you know, 300-some-odd days after he plays his last game in a Murray State uniform. It's got to be the fastest ever. Well, it's technically not because not just Kemba Walker getting it days removed from UConn winning the title, David West got it done when he was a senior, and then I don't even remember this, but um, how about this? This is maybe you do remember this, and I know some listeners will. Luke Herringody, the night of his final game at Notre Dame, had his number retired. Luke, I feel like I freaking Herring the Goaty. I feel like I vaguely remember that, but if you would have asked me, honestly, if five minutes ago you would have asked me, does Luke Herringody have his number retired at Notre Dame? I'd have been like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't have known that. Just, so, so when you bring it up, it feels like I have a, a vague memory of it, but I would have never recalled that on my own. Like It was still when he was, when he was playing. Like Just unbelievable. Um, and it might have even been before... Someone hit me up on this. It might have even been for his actual senior night. They might have done it before his last game, which is just all-time legend status there. So, which, by the way, I don't, I don't think you should do it that way. I, you I, should, yeah, yeah. You should separate the night. Senior night is a special night, and then you should have another night to to have another special night. Yeah. So shouts to Luke Herringody. I just I, that was too funny. We, I heard from just heard from a, a few listeners about a number of different guys, but I still I maintain this. All those guys were seniors. I don't know if we've ever had an underclassman have their number retired within a year of leaving school. And so John Morant, uh, a different kind of dude. But it was cool to have that happen. And then uh, San Diego State, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Steve Fisher gave a, a – did you uh, did you watch the halftime thing, GP? Did you get to see it or no? I, I'm trying to I, – I had it on, but I think I had it muted because yeah. I was writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so either way, it doesn't so I don't, matter. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think I heard the words, but it you, was – the game was on. You missed nothing with Kawhi. I mean, he was fine. He actually thanked everyone he needed to thank. And uh, we got no what it do, baby. We got no hey, hey, hey. I wanted that. I wanted him to start it go, hey, hey, hey. But we didn't get that, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Steve Fisher was just awesome. Just the way he introduced Kawhi. And uh, the man hasn't lost a touch. So that was, uh, that was, and then Doc Rivers was there. All of his Clipper teammates. They had played earlier in the day and won. And then they all went to the ceremony. I just thought that was a really, really cool thing. So an awesome weekend for retiring numbers in, uh, in college basketball. And yeah, so just this comes back around to saying um, I love when we muse on this kind of stuff, and listeners keep us honest, honest, us honest. By the way, Kyle Boone submitted me a trivia time for this podcast. I just got to know from you when you want to have it. Do you want it now, or do you want it sprinkled in, like you know, maybe a little bit later on? I'm happy with trivia time right now. You want it right now? Okay. I do. I want, I want my trivia time right now. <laughs> okay, then I'll give it to you here. Um, 
Okay. We talked about uh, the trivia time user submitted. Uh, who, what team had been winless on the road but undefeated at home? So Kyle Boone hits me up last night on Slack, not Kyle Porter, Kyle Boone, and he says, I got a, I got a trivia time that I think I'm going to stump GP with. And I was like, okay, well, you know, fired away at me. And so here's the trivia time. As we sit here on February 2nd, Gary Parrish, what team in America, what teams I should say, have the most road wins? There are three of them. And they what? are one, I'll give you, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a hint here. Mm-hmm. Um, one has been discussed plenty on the podcast this season. One has definitely been mentioned, but has not been. Oh, actually, you know what? Another one. Two of these teams have had segments dedicated to them on the podcast this season. One of them multiple times. The third we have not yet talked about this season on the podcast. And so you're going to have a tough time of getting that one, I think. Okay. Gonzaga. No, and that was – was that my first guess with him? It is, it is not Gonzaga. I will help you out here. None of the teams uh, that have – it's nine road wins, so none of these teams are uh, are currently ranked, nor I think would they be ranked even if you expanded the rankings out to the top 50 teams in college basketball. Well, geez. Yeah. Is it my East Tennessee State Buccaneers? It is not your East Tennessee State Buccaneers, but I feel, though, you're not in the right conference. That kind of thinking is is putting you down the right path. Because you're looking for teams that probably had to spend a, an, an unusual amount of their non-league schedule on the road. That's right. I wonder well, how many of our listeners have at least two, of the, two out of the three at this point. Oh, I think, I think we must be talking about my UNC Greensboro Spartans. No, not first my Spartans. Of, first of all, no, <laughs> no, I, we are not talking about uh, Greensboro. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, what? It's Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks. Stevie frickin' Austin. That's one of the three. That's correct. They have nine wins on the road right now. UNC Greensboro, by the way, has seven road wins. So that's one. You're, obviously, you're prob- obviously scrolling through teams. You want to just do take one more guess before I tell you? Yeah, um, it appears to be the Santa Clara Broncos. No way. Does Santa Clara also have nine? No, I have no idea. No, Santa Clara has three road wins. Yeah. Don't get me. Don't get me where, thinking. Where do, you, where do you look up like how many road wins somebody has? You just got like is is there an easy place to see it all? You got to know the portals, my man. You're not you're not you're not in tune with the portals. Get me in a get me in a portal. I'll get you in a portal. Um, the other two teams are my UVM Catamounts. Got a win against Albany over the weekend. They're at nine, and. Hofstra. Of course. How about Hofstra? Sneaking up. Nine road wins. That's a Kyle Boone submitted trivia time there. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. We like a tough trivia time. So anyway, that's all I got. Shouts to Kyle Boone. Shouts to Kyle Porter. Um, Let's get to the Big Ten. You know, we had a mailback question recently that asked us for uh, some Luca Garza love. And we provided some. And now we will provide some more. Luca got 25 points on Sunday, led number 18 Iowa to a 72-65 victory over 19 Illinois. Snapped Illinois' seven-game winning streak. Um, Garz has now scored at least 20 in seven straight games. And after the game, our buddy Jeff Borzello on Twitter called Luca Garza the player of the year favorite. You down with that, or did Brozello get caught up in the moment? Um, he's got a, I think, player of the year right now. Top, favorite, it's him, Howard. I'd give it to Garza ahead of Howard right now. Obi Toppin, 
Mm, he might be. Garza's been terrific. Uh, in fact, I think he is number one. Um, I was looking at this last week. Uh, there's a there's there's a there's a stat dude named John Pudner, and he and he uh, he started this thing. Is what this has been around for a long time. It's called value add, and it's basically how you um, put value on a on a player, both offensively and defensively. And Luca Garza was number one in value add. So uh, from that perspective, uh, he was he certainly qualifies. And after Sunday's game. Uh, he's there. But that's what you want to talk about? You don't want to talk about Fran McCaffrey and Chin Coleman almost getting into a fight after the game? What happened? I saw the clip. Like, what What are they arguing about? Uh, I think it was because there was a late dunk. But, again, with this BS, like, get out of here with this just machismo, I'm going to be so offended attitude. I think, in part, it's because Iowa had, like, a dunk late after the game was decided. So they go through the handshake line and <laughs> – you know, some people can get mad and, like, they can wear it okay. Like, Fran McCaffrey is one of those people, like, when he gets mad, it is impossible to hide. Like, it is over every inch of his skin and clothing and hair. He cannot restrain himself. He just – he bailed on the handshake line. I think he told his team to get on out of there too. Uh, <laughs> but beyond anything, I think it might have been Chin. When you watch the video, like, there's obviously some curse words exchanged. I think Chin was just saying in the handshake line, like, that was some real BS there. Like, that was not needed. And so then it becomes a th- – then they get it, then it gets heated in a hurry, uh, but then it breaks up there. But the point is, like, a dude named Chin comes after you. You're not talking back. I'm never talking back to a man named Chin. It's not going to happen. I wouldn't. No. no. I lo- Like, if you go watch the clip, like, Fran really did. He, he tried to initially move on with the handshake line, and then he was like, you know what? F it. I'm out of that. He <laughs> cut the handshake line short. <laughs> <laughs> pulled the ejection. He was like, no, we're done. Get out of here. We don't need this. I like a I little border I, I, war. I don't get as mad in a year, in a calendar year, about anything as often as Fran McCaffrey gets mad about everything. <laughs> it's wild. He's got a hell of a team, too, man. Team's good. Team's really good. Seems like a really good coach, but it's almost – and listen, this wasn't that bad. But, like, there is a – Fran McCaffrey got pissed off story almost every single year in this sport. <laughs> every almost year. Every, yes. Happens he's again. Always, he's always so angry. And his team's good. He's got five wins over teams ranked in the AP poll this season at the time the game was played. That's tied for the most in the country with – trivia time. Say it again, please. Iowa has five wins over teams ranked in the AP poll. Based on the the Current. moment the game was played, not currently the moment that it was played, right? So like that's maybe a SEC football fandom uh, yeah. reframing there, by the way. But okay, go ahead. Hey, listen, it comes straight from the Iowa email. I get of Iowa. course, yeah, no, no worries. I'm not blaming you for it, but that is that's classic. We beat Texas when they were 17th in the country. Right, yeah, right, okay. right. Good deal. Um, so so they got they got five. Yeah, only one other school in the country has five. You know who it is. I feel like, first of all, this is stupid because I feel like you've asked me some version of this question like twice in the past six weeks on the podcast, and so I should know it, but uh, Baylor is obviously my first answer. Yeah, Baylor is okay. the correct right, answer. Here, here's my favorite thing about Iowa. 11-1 and one at home this season with wins over Maryland, Rutgers, Wisconsin. I already know what you're going to say. The losses, the losses to DePaul. And the losses to DePaul, yep. which is 1-8 in the Big East. Amazing. It is amazing. It's just it's unbelievable. Good on Iowa for getting that win, by the way. And all the by the way, also because the because the Hawkeyes were able to hold court at home, uh, Illinois could not 
stand stand alone in the Big Ten standings. In fact, in the loss column now, you've got Sparty, the Fighting Illini, and Maryland all with three losses. And then just behind them, Iowa, Rutgers, hello, Penn State also with four losses in the loss column. Although, are they playing today, like as we speak, literally? No, they didn't have a game today. I just wanted to make sure there. Um Penn State. I was just wondering. They played yesterday. Yeah, they played. I've, I, dude, there was 151 games yesterday. It's impossible to keep track of all this. Um, I, I think we should, by the way, as we're just kind of talking about all this, I'll give I'll give tons of credit to Wisconsin for winning the way. I mean, it 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 got close. I understand. Uh, it got close late, but uh, the Badgers played well. They were. They, Xavier Tillman was weirdly bad for Michigan State, uh, but for for Bucky, this was the kind of win. You know, no Davison on the floor. Obviously, Kobe King's left the program, um, and you're able to win. And it was definitive. I mean, it was. It got again. It got close late, but if you watch the majority of that game, Wisconsin was kicking the crap out of Michigan State. So, credit to Greg Gard and his Badgers, who are also uh, with many other teams in terms of developing a resume that is going to be quite weird. Thirteen and nine, but. I think would be somewhat comfortable if we started the field today, um, doing well overall. So I just wanted to give them a little bit of love there after they had a obviously a rocky previous seven days. They go out and they make no bones about it and win a game over Michigan State to keep their season, you know, um, going in the in the proper direction as opposed to losing a third straight. Now it was, you know, perhaps the most impressive thing of the weekend because, listen, it wasn't a big national story like everything, every little thing that happened after Kobe King quit the team. But it was a massive story in Wisconsin and in Madison because he gave an interview, Kobe did, to um, um, a local media outlet where he pretty much trashed Greg Gard. Yeah. I mean, he trashed him. And it almost seemed like I, – I, listen, I, I don't know the ins and outs. And so I, I, I don't guess I can question the young man's experience. I wasn't there. But I don't know. It didn't, it didn't read well to me. I, I I I didn't read that and think worse of Greg Gard. I read that and thought like Kobe King is taking some heat locally and nationally, and now he's trying to over-explain mm-hmm. why he left. Like if you wanted to 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 discuss, you know, if you wanted to say all these things about your former head coach, you could have done that in your initial social media post. You know, you didn't go there until you were trying to to you know maybe push back on on the criticism that you were getting for yes quitting your team like I, I i read somewhere that he was it was it, i think it was maybe in the same article that he was bothered by being um labeled a quitter well then don't quit if you don't want to be called a quitter don't quit and that's not to be confused with don't transfer it, it, perhaps yeah. this is a difference without a distinction in some people's minds but it's not to, in mind it is one thing to leave your team either at the semester when it from a calendar perspective benefits you or after the season because you want a new experience for what literally whatever reason it doesn't matter to me. It's another thing to quit your team in January. You don't gain anything in terms of where you're going to be uh, at your next stop. You can't enroll still till the time you can enroll. You won't play any sooner by quitting in January as opposed to playing out the season. You don't maintain any eligibility that you wouldn't also have if you just played through the the season. You gain nothing by quitting in January. And so if you don't want to be called a quitter, then don't quit. You know, this, that's pretty simple to me. And for Wisconsin to endure all of that, the suspension, the, the, the second leading score quitting, and then the controversy that, that, that subsequently comes, and then get into the Kohl Center and knock out Michigan State, and then to see former players, most notably I think Frank Kaminsky, 
you know, publicly applaud Greg Gard and that staff for sticking together and over the top, um, you know, in, in an over the top way, um, really show support. Uh, it tells me, more, I think, what I need to know about that whole situation. Yeah, big, uh, just a big win. I th- I think I said this on HQ on Saturday. Um, a lot of good wins. I just don't think there was a bigger win for any single school than Wisconsin. But I don't think there was a bigger moment um, than something we saw in the American. But I don't want to cut you off, GP. I can go to that real quick if you want, or we can save it. But I do want to get to, before we close out the pod, uh, what Elijah Joyner at Tulsa did because people need to hear what he said afterward. No, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we can go there now. I got nothing more on the Big Ten. Like you said, Michigan State, Illinois now both eight and three, tied atop the Big Ten standings. Maryland seven and three. Terrapins had the the weekend off, so um, it looks like that is going to be an interesting race through March. And uh, it was an interesting weekend for a variety of reasons, but certainly the basketball moment we had at Tulsa on Saturday night was awesome. And then the press conference moment we had was, uh, I thought, even better. Yeah. So we had there are two there are two items. So the the Americans going to get a little bit of a segment here um, because there's two things we got to talk about. There's a, a really emotional, terrific one, and then there's an, a ridiculous one that involves biting that we have to get to as well because we have actually had statements released uh, since we started the pod, and we'll get to that uh, as well. But let's go with Tulsa here. So Tulsa wins remains uh, at the top of the, of the American Athletic Conference standings now. It's 15 and six with a seven and one record uh, by virtue of its buzzer beating win at home over. Wichita State on Saturday. Uh, you know, f- they start on one end, they get the, they inbound the ball, and and lo and behold, uh, you have uh, Elijah Joyner hit the winning three. And what no one outside the program really knew at that time was how much the the day meant, let alone the moment meant to him. And um, I'm sure some of our listeners have heard this, but this is about a 50-second clip, and I don't know if we will have a better moment at a podium, and that includes the NCAA tournament. If we have something that tops this this season, it will be remarkable. But here's what Elijah Joyner said after he hit the winner to give Tulsa uh, the victory over Wichita State. Man, I honestly never pictured this moment with my my father being here for the first time, and I'm just so happy that he was here for this moment. It means so much for me to see him in the crowd. It just means a lot to me knowing that he was here and that I could do this in this special moment. I never pictured this. I never pictured them being in the crowd, you know, cheering me on and things like that this far in my life. But he's here and I'm just so happy that he's here. That's good. That's good. And you got Frank Haith there giving a hug to his player as that uh, as that wraps there. I want to give credit to NBC2 Local for getting that as well. Um, it's just uh, it's been a it's been a good well, week. Well, for, first, can you share the backstory why that was such an emotional well, thing? Well, well, can you share the backstory? Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about it if you want to inform listeners as to the the oh. the details behind why his dad is there, and then I'll. I'll yeah, my understanding that. is that uh, the young man was not raised by his father, but by his mother and a stepfather, and really, you know, that, that's not uncommon in this country. But uh, you know, what is um unfortunate is that he, by uh, all accounts, had no real relationship with his father at all um, for years and years and years, and they've just recently reestablish that relationship 
and which leads to the father being in the building to watch his son as a college basketball player for the first time. And then, my God, you hit a game winner against a nationally ranked team. I mean, just awesome stuff. It just it is unbelievable. And um, for for Joyner to do that, you know, he's not he's not you know a leading scorer on the team. He's starting level player, solid player, but he's not like this, you know. Just surefire three-point shooter. He's just he's good. He's solid. But to get that win the way he did, and then just a a really good week for college basketball when it comes to its players, its coaches, you know, not being able, not being afraid to uh, display emotion, show emotion. You had um, going back to some of the DJ Carton stuff. You had Archie Miller have some really powerful comments, and then Chris Holtman, after Ohio State was able to beat Indiana on Saturday, have some powerful comments. And then this, on a completely separate level. Um, was just uh, Elijah. All credit to you, Frank Haith, as well. Um, that was just an incredible, incredible moment there. And oh, by the way, now Tulsa building itself slowly but surely. I mean, they got a, they got ways to go. They're not even top 50 in Ken Palm at this point, and they didn't have a good non-conference schedule. But this is a seven-one team in the league. That's just. It's coming off some big wins there, and that was, you know, I wanted to highlight that. And for anyone that's listening to the pod that missed that, um, you know, if the video is just as the audio itself is clearly, uh, you know, it, it's it really st- stirs the heart. But uh, but seeing him just breaking down at the podium, talking about the love for his father, I just thought was an incredible and amazing moment. And I do think it's uh, it can be a lesson for people if you allow me, because there, the, I'm confident there's somebody listening right now who doesn't have a good relationship with their children, whether you know, it's younger children or teenagers or even adults, and, and, you know, for whatever reason. And what, what that illustrated to me um, when I watched it Saturday night was that you know, kid, people are pretty resilient and – and sons want their dads and their moms, and daughters want their dads and their moms. And even if, and I, and I don't know the complete ins and outs of the story, but even if you have been absent as a father or a mother for an extended period of time, um, it's never too late to re-enter that relationship and and try to make it try to make it right and try to make it better and good, um, because you know my. You know, there's so many stories like this, and I rarely do you hear a person say, "No, where were you five years ago? I don't need you now." I mean, that does exist. Yeah. But, but more often, the stories that I hear are, you know, I I didn't know my father when I was growing up, but he came into my life now, and you know, we're you know, it just means the world to the, the more the more common story is the Elijah Joyner story, and so if there's a father or a mother out there who's, you know, been absent in their children's lives for whatever reason, you know, don't ever think that you can't make that right or you can't make that better or too much time has passed because as Elijah Joyner showed, I mean, I'm sure he and his father have been sideways um, for years at a time. And I'm sure he's had moments as a child and also as an adult where he was angry, mad, disappointed, frustrated, all the normal emotions you would go through if you felt like your mom or dad weren't in your life when they could be. And yet none of that matters in that moment. It just meant the world to him that his dad was there. Disappointed that his dad hasn't consistently been there, I'm sure. But man, forget all that. My dad's here right now. 
and that's pretty great. That was uh, just good, good, good stuff, man. Love, love seeing a, a moment like that there. All right, elsewhere in the American, we did have, and this is a completely different tone here. Uh, we had a biting scandal. Okay, we had. <laughs> I mean, this this was one of those things, GP, where uh, it was getting late on Saturday night, and I didn't realize that this was happening, but indeed it happened. There was uh, allegations, video evidence, some Zapruder film level examination. There, you had a Houston coach. Uh, Kelvin Sampson uh, disputing this, saying, I looked at the video three times. There, there, wasn't a, there was not a bite. There was an alleged bite. But unfortunately, uh, Sunday morning, it brought, it brought clarity. It brought a lot of clarity, and unfortunately, we did have an issue here where one player l- literally bit another. Um, before I get to the details of that, I just got to know, like, when do you think is the last time you bit a human being? And you know what? Actually, let me rephrase that real quick here. Outside of your own bedroom or potentially a hotel room, when was the last time you think you bit a human being? Wow. Um, I would, I would say it's. I could. I don't recall. Like bite, biting is not something you do when you reach a certain age. Well, activities depending, I guess. But yeah, are you I a biter, Norlander? Are you a biter? Are you? Are you a biter? Are you, are you a choker? <laughs> what the hell? Are you a biter and a choker? Definitely not. Okay. Definitely not a choker? Definitely not a choker. Okay. But but maybe a biter. <laughs> it sounds like you're a biter. Oh, boy. You want to break out that uh, Austin Powers again? <laughs> Do I make you horny, baby? Do I? Norlander is a biter. How about that? I asked you the last time you bit. I don't remember. I can't tell you the last time I bit either. But anyway, okay, here's the here's the here's the specifics of what we got here. Houston, uh Dijon Giroux, he will be suspended for a game because in in a loose ball fracas, he bit Mamadou Diara in the leg and he plays for Cincinnati there. Um this is bizarre. I can't remember the last time we had a biting incident in college basketball. Houston, oh, by the way, lost 64-62 at Cincinnati, which allowed Tulsa to be atop the American Athletic Conference standings there. And so, yes, your thoughts on the bite. Were you turned on when you saw that bite? I was not turned on when I saw that bite. I was not nearly as turned on with that bite as you were with Ohio State's offense earlier this year. That was a long time ago. Yeah, that it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Ohio State's offense has not aged well. That's <laughs> not aged well. <laughs> um... What did I think when I saw the bite? I was like, "What you know? What are you like? What are you doing? You never know what like it's say like I could almost understand the Mike Tyson bites. He was tired of getting headbutted, and he just was like, "If you're gonna keep doing this, well then I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, right?" But like, what 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 led to the? I mean, it's just a loose ball situation. Why are you biting another basketball player, weirdo? <laughs> Uh, it's just bizarre. I was like, I was looking, I was like, this is my life on a daily basis. I literally have to keep telling my children to stop biting each other. Like, especially my one-year-old. That's all he does. He bites. I, 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 I'll tell you this. I'm bit, I'm bit on a daily basis by my own, by my own child. That is, that is still happening. Well, here's what happens. Children follow the lead of their parents. So if we, if you've got a dad who's got a dead leg, but still bites, well, then you're going to be a kid who's got a dead leg and bites. <laughs> He's got no dead leg. My leg is... It's alive, man. I went running for 15 minutes the other day. I can run on this bad boy. You can't no, even pick up a cup of coffee, dead arm. No, if you ever want to, like, when your kids do bad things, like, like bad behaviors, it is almost always your fault. Like, my, my 
I have a six-year-old and a three. Uh, we have we have three. We have a sixteen-year-old and a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Well, the three-year-old six- has a vodka problem. I'm aware of this, but what else? Got <laughs> no, no, my six-year-old and my three-year-old, they both cuss. Yeah, I. <laughs> they both cuss. It's terrible, dude. I mean, it's it's all and, and it's not. You got just a three-year-old like, with the mouth of a sailor. Oh yeah, no, they, they, and it it is awful. Um, they cuss and they tell each other to shut up all the time. <laughs> So they're just like, they're just like, shut up, shut up, Oliver, shut up, Louie. It's just shut up. They're shut up back and forth and they cuss and, but they only cuss out of anger, but they do cuss out of anger. So if Oliver gets upset, he will, he'll like, if Oliver says, Hey dad, I want to go outside and go swimming. And I say, buddy, the pool's closed because it's winter. You can't go swimming. You effing. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just say? And then he, he he apologizes very quickly, which is good. But his instincts are to cuss. And you want to know why? Here's the truth. Because when I get frustrated, I also cuss. So when my kids get frustrated, they cuss. That's my fault. I've got to be better about that. And you got to stop biting your wife, or else your kids are going to keep not, biting. <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not really a biter. I just didn't. I should have. I guess I should have answered more directly and definitively. Not that they're. Not that listeners are really begging for a peek into that window of our lives there. But so so be it. Whatever. I'm just saying, my kids cuss. That makes sense. My kids don't bite. But all also, kids bite. That's the thing. I got a one-year-old. Every one-year-old bites. My kids don't bite. My little six, my, my, my six-year-old will cuss you out, but he won't yeah, bite you. Yeah, because he's six, but at one, he bit. I don't think so. I got oh, a three-year-old. Stop. Don't bite. I, don't, I don't remember them being biters. I just remember them being cussers. That's crazy. Right. <sighs> yeah, I can't, make, I can't make sense of why you would bite a basketball player in a loose ball situation other than you're you know, you just well. That's some- the season. I just, I just wanted. To, we had a dude bite another dude. He's gonna get suspended. We've had a dude punch a dude in the crotch. Suspended. <laughs> yeah. Dude bite another dude. Suspended. What's next here? Like um, what? Oh, just one more note in the American. Yeah. Um, DJ Jeffries. Uh, yeah. Knee injury. It might be out for the season at Memphis. It's just that whole season. And I promise we're not gonna spend more than forty-five seconds on this. But you, you know, you start the season with the number one ranked recruiting class. And you get to February and the number one recruit in it is not here anymore because he quit the team. And then your second leading score is probably out for the year because of a knee injury suffered in practice. It's like, uh, you know, it'll always be a what if season at Memphis. Like, what if James Wiseman? Oh, by the way, Rajon Tucker was a part of that class. He's now in the NBA. Yeah, um, because just decided to enter enter the draft and stay in, went undrafted, but then got a contract, I believe, with Utah. So there was a time when Memphis was supposed to have Rajon Tucker and Boogie Ellis and DJ Jeffries and James Wiseman and Precious Achua. Like, they probably would have been the most talented team, just pure talent in the country, and now no Rajon Tucker, no James Wiseman, and perhaps no DJ Jeffries um, for the rest of the season. You ready for the podcast review? I am. Let's do it. Okay, I got I got a good one here because it is it's it's nice and we like those, but it also like brings up a point that I, I think is worth addressing. So this one uh, coincidentally comes from somebody named Gary, and Gary left it uh, last Thursday after our midweek podcast, and he writes this uh, over at Apple Podcasts. He said, "Gary and Matt, I love your podcast, and I've been listening from the beginning. Sometimes I find the opinions that you offer to be a little bit harsh, but I do understand they are your opinions. I do think." You were a little bit harsh on Coach K. 
Now, let me preface this by saying I'm an Arizona Wildcat fan, and my two least favorite programs are ASU and Duke in that order. I respect Coach K, but don't really like him. That being said, I admire the leadership he showed by trying to get his fans in order. Having witnessed firsthand incidents at ASU where Steve Kerr was mocked by chance of PLO and Where Is Your Daddy after his father was assassinated at an American university in Lebanon, and Lute Olson was wow. mocked by chance of How Is Bobby after his wife died, I admire a coach who takes it upon himself to lead the fans in rooting the correct way and calling them out when they don't. Keep up the good work and happy birthday, Gary. We need more Garys. Okay, so that comes from Gary. Um, first on the Duke thing, and then I want to circle back. Okay. Um, he says his whole point here is that um, he's seen some pretty ugly stuff from student sections, and so he can respect the coach who will try to get students back in line when they cross the line. And let me be clear. So can I. But that's not what happened at Cameron Indoor. The students weren't out of line. That's what makes it so funny and makes Kay's reaction so wild is that the students weren't out of line. They weren't doing anything. They weren't chanting anything inappropriate. Um, he just he just didn't understand what they were doing, and he flipped the F out. And so I do think that's important to note. Now, we've subsequently explained that he was probably on edge, dealing with tragedy like so many other people who knew Kobe Bryant on a personal level. And sometimes when you are on edge about one thing, it can show itself in another area. And I, if you don't mind, I'll give us credit. We talked about that um, in real time. And then Kay subsequently offered it up as a possible explanation himself. So we were speculating the role Kobe Bryant's death might have played in that incident. And then Kay sort of you know, voluntarily said, Listen, it's been a rough week, and I think that it put me in a spot where I was just quick to react the way that I did. But, it, you know, it isn't – I, like the other Gary, um, can appreciate a coach putting a student section back in line when it is out of line. But this student section wasn't out of line. That's sort of the point, right? Yeah. Um, no, not, not at all. And just real quick on that. So uh, credit to the Duke Chronicle because it reported that that Krzyzewski said this, and then I share, and then CBS, uh, you know, linked back and credited the Chronicle, but it, it just, it aggregated the story, and so I, I shared that, and only, like, so I shared that, like, what, Thursday, maybe? Thursday afternoon, I think? Uh, and for the next 70 hours, my mentions were a disaster. The quote tweets, the app mentions, not for me, but responding to Mike Krzyzewski, a lot of people just do not like Mike Krzyzewski. It was the amount of hate and uh, it was one of those things where, like, I basically didn't even look at my mentions for a while because it was it, just disgusting. Like, I, I, I don't – no brain should be reading this much stuff that's negative about one person. Basically saying, like, why are you using Kobe's death as a cop-out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, taking a lot – I think taking some of the story out of context and using it for their own dislike of the Duke program and Mike Krzyzewski there. But um, just to bring you into a window of, of, of that part of it, uh, yeah, it was – I got ratioed for people that were responding to Mike Krzyzewski, what he reportedly told Duke students behind closed doors. And I think some of the frustration was also because, uh, according to that report, there was also a dialogue, and maybe it was a two-way dialogue, maybe it was just one way, maybe it was just Mike Krzyzewski, I don't know, about, um, again, <laughs> again, the kind of chants that are acceptable and that they should be trying to do there, and, you know, defense, and let's go, you know, let's go, Duke, come on! 
stuff like that. So people had a huge issue with it, and it was just one of those things where Mike Krzyzewski, if he does something that can be criticized, we saw this with the Dylan Brooks stuff at the NCAA tournament a few years back. Um, people still bring up the fact that he took off the season in 94-95, and Pete Gaudet took Duke when it didn't make the tournament. People just will, will go after Mike Krzyzewski more than any coach. doesn't matter. Calipari, Roy Williams, Sean Miller, there's nobody that comes close to the polarizing nature of Mike Krzyzewski, which is a little bit weird, but Duke's also the most hated program in college basketball, so those things kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, like from my perspective, like Mike was out of line, and we said that, and then we goofed around with his post-game press conference, and then we also gave him we, – we offered a possible explanation, which turned out to be a real explanation, and then we uh, gave him credit for, you know, apologizing. And, and I, I got a tweet from somebody because I said – they said, oh, I can't believe you would say Mike Krzyzewski should never have to apologize for anything. That's not what I said, dummy. What I said was um, somebody of Mike Krzyzewski's stature um, do- doesn't necessarily have to apologize, and they don't always do it. You know, they like Mike Krzyzewski is not going to lose his job or be disciplined in any way if he doesn't apologize to the Duke students. Um, he's, uh, I don't want to say above everything, but he's above lots of things. And so for him to you know, after the game, apologize and then make an effort to meet with the students and have a dialogue, uh, whether it was one way or two way. Like I, I give him credit for all of that. And then I think it's a it's an overstory. Like, you know, then, then it is is what it is. The more interesting thing in Gary's podcast review was these incidents he says he's witnessed in person, which was era, um, Arizona. Um, yeah. Yeah. Arizona uh, with, State fans. Yeah. Arizona State fans. Uh, chanting PLO and where's your daddy to Steve Kerr after his father was assassinated and chanting how is Bobby at Lute Olson after his wife died. And so I read that and I go, well, there's no way that happened. That, that, that has to be hyperbole or, or perhaps even just a total fabrication or maybe a, a, a big example of something that might have happened once upon a time that would be crossed the line. I Googled it. That stuff apparently really happened. That's unconscionable. How That's... do you how do you chant where's your wife after she died of cancer? That's I was unaware of that. I I do recall hearing about the Kerr stuff uh, before, but I I actually did not know the stuff with with Bobby actually had happened. That's, yeah, that's yeah, like, a, a young person's father is assassinated in another country and you're like PLO and, and, and where's your daddy? Like, what in the world? I thought for sure, like, there's no, like, students are wild. I get it. Yeah. And sometimes they cross the line. I'm, I know. But cross it that far? I mean, they, like, if somebody ever said it chanted any something like that, and we saw a coach actually go into the student section to try to shut him up, I'll support that coach every single day. I agree. Um, you know, that's, that's not what Mike was doing. But I, I was just amazed because I was like, oh, Google search, this stuff isn't really going to pop up. And sure enough, it popped up. And then there was a column I read from 2004, I think from like an Arizona State. Uh, it's somebody, somebody, a local columnist down there, you know, from 26, 15, 16 years ago. And it was like, hey, we have to be better than this. And he cited these incidents. Wow. I was like, my God. Yeah, that's I, just, and it, remember, like we're, we're still not that far removed from Maryland fans uh, 
bringing in posters and yelling some pretty despicable stuff at J.J. Redick when he was at Duke. Like, on the whole, student sections, as they should, for the most part here, have gotten better. I mean, there's obviously a line there. Um, and we, we don't have these kinds of stories every year, thankfully. They aren't, they aren't Fran McCaffrey-like in that respect. But, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's some rough stuff. All right, you want to get out of here, man? I got to start making some food. Super Bowl. Yeah, we are about a little more than an hour away. Uh, I'm looking at the countdown clock on Fox right now. We are one hour, 20 minutes away at this moment, away from the Chiefs 49ers uh, Super Bowl. You got a big Super Bowl party? Uh, just me and my fam, man. That's that's all I got going on here right that's now. I'm doing, that's why I'm doing it too. Yeah, Ke- I know we, like- so we used to do that, but then we had kids, and once you got kids, the game starts late. Then you like you go to a house, and they're like, well, they, they got to get down. So then you're like, do we leave right when halftime starts and miss the halftime show? Do we leave with six minutes to go in the second quarter? So for the next few years, I think it's just gonna. You know, keep it local, keep it home, and just uh, enjoy. And then, by the way, you can when you do that, and it's a good game, you can actually follow the game better than if you go to somebody's house and whether it's eight people, fifteen people, twenty-five people, it's just noisier. It's 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 a bit more difficult. It can be fun, but then if you really want to be into the game, that's not going to happen. But last we did this, by the way, you were like, I have no interest in this game. Has your interest at least gone up a little bit? Not really. Right. I mean, like if you told me right now, like. Hey, we we've got to go do like again. I I, I mean I'm going to watch it obviously, and I, I guess if I I'd like to see Patrick Mahomes win a Super Bowl, you know, sort of start his legacy as a possible goat. Andy Reid getting a Super Bowl, obviously a great story. I'm I'm not rooting against San Francisco, but left up to me, I'd rather see uh, Kansas City win. And yeah, I'm the same way with you. Kelly was like, so what are we doing with the Super Bowl? Because last year I hosted a party at a casino, and that was just. It was fun, but it, it, a lot going on. I was like, you know what? I'd be happy to just stay home, me, you, and the boys. You know, we'll get some food. They can cuss at each other, bite each other. Yeah, they can, they can they can cuss each other out. And so, yeah, that's the plan. I think uh, my oldest just went to pick up uh, wings and pizzas and all sorts of stuff. So we'll just have a, a little five person party here with a six year old and a three year old cussing at each other. It should be great. And then I'm gonna uh, wake up tomorrow. And at some point, fly to New York. And I'll be in studio Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday night, uh, CBS Sports Network. We got a doubleheader. UMass at Rhode Island, 7 Eastern, followed by Colorado State at Fresno State at 9 Eastern. Then, of course, we'll have Inside College Basketball at the end of the night. Rhode Island turned it into a nice story. Started 82nd at Ken Palm, up to number 45, 16-5 overall, 8-1 and one in the Atlantic 10. Just one game back of Obi Toppin and Dayton. They got an eight-game winning streak led by Fats Russell. He's averaging 20.1 points, 4.8 assists, three steals per game. So if you haven't seen Rhode Island yet, 7 o'clock Eastern, Tuesday, CBS Sports Network. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Gary, the Arizona fan. And please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. And you do that. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. y'all it's chip patterson from cbs sports if you're a diehard fan of college football then you don't need me to remind you that this sport knows no offseason and let's be honest if you're a diehard fan of college football i kind of expect you to already be subscribed to the cover three podcast but don't worry if you missed out on the lock fights late night instant reactions and emergency podcasts in 2019 there's still room for you to join us results on the field in the fall are the product of pieces that were set in place in the winter so don't miss out on the moves news and headlines that will determine the 2020 national championship download and subscribe the cover three podcast on apple spotify and anywhere podcasts are found